0: listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur podcast by the Pierre L. Morissette Institute for Entrepreneurship at the Ivy Business School. In this series, Ivy Entrepreneur and faculty member Dave Simpson will anchor the session. Hi there, Dave Simpson here. Many of you remember from my classes, uh, we do a Dave's top 10 list, which is uh, a bunch of stories about business opportunities that were planned really well, executed really well, but something happens in the world and things that you can't plan for make the project inevitably fail, or as I like to say from an entrepreneur's point of view, give you another learning experience. I had a few uh, past students call me in the past week as they were working on projects that were about to come to fruition, and this nasty virus sort of uh, inserted itself into the process, and uh, they were reminded of my story, the 100-year flood. So I thought I'd uh, tell that story today on a a little podcast to uh, remind folks that uh, staying calm and carrying on, of course, is something that we always preach. But entrepreneurs, more than anyone, understand that existential crises happen all the time. So this is the story, the 100-year flood. A number of years ago, uh, some partners and I uh, owned a company called Canadian Winter Tennis, which is a fun project. Uh, We had two tennis clubs in Toronto and the essential ingredients were that the tennis courts were built by the public. They were owned by municipalities. In the 70s, they built a lot of tennis courts uh, when tennis was really popular. But uh, of course, budgets being what they were at the time, uh, these courts weren't exactly kept up. So the value proposition we had was we'd go to the municipality and say, We will maintain the tennis courts for you, resurface them, paint them, that kind of thing. Uh, But we're going to put an inflatable uh, tennis dome over top of them and we get them for the winter. This was uh, really uh, well received by municipalities because normally they sit under snow anyway and they could keep the community uh, using a great asset and uh, we take the bubble down in the summer when the the city normally has them for just a public park playing tennis. So it was a win-win for all. They pushed us a little harder and asked for some rent in addition to just resurfacing the courts, but essentially a really positive deal for us. We would set up a program where you have a membership fee. So that's at the start of the year, and then you pay court fees based on how often you play. Court fees generally covered the expenses of staff and the inflation equipment and heating that kept things going, which meant uh, you essentially had your profit uh, at the start of the project. So the membership money was really the profit. it was a nice little cash flow business. Over time, though, I got tired of driving to Toronto uh, where our two clubs were, where there was Always the problem in a cash business that uh, somebody might slide some money into their own pocket, not write down on the court sheet that uh, their friends had played. And uh, over time, I just got a little frustrated. So I was looking around for some other places to do this. And I looked in our own backyard here uh, at the University of Western Ontario. Western had nine tennis courts uh, that were... uh, really in bad shape. Uh, In fact, they had grooves uh, in the court where grass was growing. Um, Most of the students are obviously uh, able to use that uh, in early September, but by October, uh, you basically uh, can't use the courts for the entire winter, which is when most of the constituents are here. And I looked at the potential where we missed out in Toronto were, uh, you know, later at night in middle of the afternoon. Those were the open spots. And I thought, well, we'd probably have the same demand here for morning leagues and uh, around the supper time leagues. But if we could fill the afternoons and late evenings with students, it would be an excellent place to do it. So I was convinced it was the way to go. So I approached the university with a deal and said, uh, look, I'll build you a nice clubhouse. I'll uh, put the tennis bubbles up. We, we settled on six courts, and uh, but I get them from October 1st, April 30th, and then the university would get the use of a, a nice refined court in the summer. Everything was going well. Uh, The university really liked this idea. In fact, uh, you know, they shouldn't be spending money on capital projects that were not core to their uh, school uh, system. And uh, so they were all set to go. And I was going for one final meeting to put the agreement together, and I was in the physical plant office. And the director at physical plant uh, said to me as I walked in, "Uh, Dave, we have a problem. Uh, We can't do this. Now, most of you know entrepreneurs don't hear the word can't because we've already mentally made the jump that we are doing this and I said to him what do you mean and he said "Uh, well we have a problem here that the tennis courts uh, are below the hundred year flood line and he showed this map on the wall to me and I said, what's the hundred year flood line and as it happens uh, London uh, in the early 1930s had a terrible flood uh, the Thames River uh, came up over its banks. Uh, most of uh, the downtown area got flooded. Homes in the Warncliffe Road area, Labatt Park, if you know the city, were really, really devastated. And as a result, the city tried to come up with new ways to manage the water and they created Lake Fanshawe, which is really just the Thames River held back by a dam out in the uh, the northeast side of the city. So what that allowed them to do was manage the control of water. They could uh, fill the lake up bigger and let it go down the river in slower uh, fashion during these spring runoffs. The problem is that 1931 floodline uh, created what's called the 100-year flood, the worst flood you can have. And notwithstanding that they've fixed the problem, and we're not going to have that again, it still 100 years goes to 2031. So the line was on the property around the tennis courts because they're near the the river there. I looked at this and I said well there's got to be a way around this Uh, and in fact I indeed thought it was a bit of a political line because as I looked at it the line kind of made its way around the edges of University Hospital and around some of the dormitories that had been built by Western. So it looked to me that it was a bit of a political line as well. But I was determined to do this, as most entrepreneurs are, and I said, uh, you know, give me uh, all your bylaw books and let me know what I can read up on this. So they passed me all their books because I said, I am doing this uh, and I will find a way. And as I looked at it, what they were talking about essentially was permanent structures couldn't be uh, built on floodplain. And the idea there is that if you build something permanent on a floodplain and the water is coming up, you are in fact making the water rise faster and it gets higher as it goes further downstream. And so I started to think, okay, how can I ensure that I meet all the criteria here? So I came up with the idea that uh, I would present this as entirely portable. Now, as we know, the, the bubbles themselves we would be taking down anyway. With a, a switch uh, turning off the electricity, the bubbles would come down naturally. So all I had to worry about was trying to figure out the clubhouse. So I decided that I would buy a trailer. So I went and got a as big a trailer as I could find got uh, a proposal to have them sort of bow out the steel on the edges to to make a bit of a a rounded curve so I get a little more real estate out of it. I talked to Union Gas and London Hydro and got quick uh, disconnect couplets so that I was able to present that uh, in the event of the 100-year flood, which of course is never going to happen, we could uh, in fact move the clubhouse out of there. You just need a crane to hook up the end of it. It's a trailer and we pull it out, Uh, we disconnect the electricity so that the bubbles come down, lay flat, and the water rides over it. After some interesting debates with the uh, university officials, they agreed that I had actually complied with everything, and we went ahead and got things uh, done. So the clubhouse, in fact, uh, most people don't know that that clubhouse is actually a trailer because we put a skirt over the wheels and you can't see it. I think some people often wondered why it was as small as it was, but that's all we could get out of it. And the club became uh, very, very popular and in fact uh, met all my objectives. Now as it would happen, one January day, as, uh, as often happens in London now, we get a lot of snow in late December, early January, but we also typically get those warm days in January. And one day in January, it began to rain after a lot of snow. And it rained and rained and rained. And lo and behold, late at night, about 1 in the morning, I get a telephone call at home. Now, nothing good comes from a telephone call at 1 a.m. Nobody calls you to say, hey, your kids have been really well behaved tonight. Uh, You know it's bad news. And it turned out it was a campus police officer calling me and i was on his list because it said hey dave uh, we got a call from the upper thames conservation authority uh the river's gonna crest tonight uh, at historic highs come and uh, take down the bubble well Taking down the bubble wasn't exactly in the cards, but uh, I had given all the uh, officials uh, contact information. In fact, we had a little red binder that was the emergency flood procedures that was always there for the employees, knowing that the 100-year flood's never going to come again. But now I had to walk the talk. So I got out of bed, went up to the university, and I took a look at where things were. And I remember distinctly, I was sitting under the bridge that goes uh, across from the dormitories, uh, across the river into the main campus of the university, and it's right beside the parking lot for the tennis bubbles. And I remember sitting under that bridge, and I would mark little lines of where the water was, mark the time down. I don't know if they're still there now, but I would write it down just to see how the water was coming. And I remember thinking... No professor at the Ivy Business School ever taught me that small business was about sitting in the woods in the middle of the night, protecting your asset and doing what you were uh, supposed to do. So I, I found it ironic that I get to tell these stories now about practical experiences because uh, it's poignant to remember. The problem I was going to have was that uh, if I press the button to deflate the bubbles, without taking all the lights down inside the tennis court, the fabric of the bubbles is gonna get caught in all the lights and wreck everything. Holes in the bubble, etc. The second issue was, but if I took the light standards down and I was only by myself, there's no way I could hold them as they start to uh, tip when you pull the pin out. In fact, I used to get uh, the Mustang football team to help put them up because they're quite heavy. So the problem of taking the bubble down meant I was gonna do a long-term damage. And the second issue was no crane company was gonna come in the middle of the night to pull the uh, trailer out of the tennis courts because if it really was a hundred year flood, there are much more problems uh, in downtown London. So as I sat there contemplating what to do, I thought the important thing was I had to show that I was committed. So I did stay there all night, to protect this asset i realized that campus police you know really didn't care what they were doing was following their checklist they got a note from the upper thames here are all the people they have to call and someone can say yes i called that uh, so i stood there in order to honor my pledge the entire night the water came up over the parking lot it came up to the edge of the bubble and was uh, lapping against the bubble the air pressure of the domes themselves kept all the water out and I stayed there the entire night so that I could answer any question. If someone came by, Yes, saying, yes, sir, I'm getting ready to take these down. But as it happened, uh, the water just surrounded us and kept flowing down the river. And over the course of time, it started to recede by later the next night when we got a little reprieve from the rain. So as I think this through as a lesson for entrepreneurs, I'm mindful of a couple things at the business school we do case studies where our students are really good at analyzing what can go wrong you know they'll say in the long run this isn't sustainable in the long run uh, you know your competitor will do this in the long run someone will adjust and as an entrepreneur you have to remember well in the long run you're dead so it's relatively easy to pick apart any particular deal but stuff is going to happen no matter what you do. So as long as you go into a project knowing that, you know, the, the lifespan of the project may in fact be impeded by some of life's strange happenings, you go ahead and do it because otherwise you wouldn't do anything. So entrepreneurship is about doing, to undertake, to do. And I always felt that uh, you can be prudent in your decision making, but if you start analyzing too many things that can go wrong, you would never, ever try anything. That tennis uh, bubble has now been up there. I built that in 1990. So it's been there a lot longer than I ever thought it would. It's had uh, its few days of water lapping up against it. But generally speaking, I remind people that the hundred-year flood is the metaphor that once-in-a-lifetime events are going to happen to you. It's going to happen in your lifetime, whether statistically that's probable or not. Uh, We're living through some times right now that, uh, you know, people really don't know how to deal with it. But if you're of my vintage And you have so many more yesterdays than tomorrows. You know, you've seen this a few times, whether it's crashes of 87, whether it's September 11th, whether it's 2001 meltdowns, 2008 meltdowns. You see a lot of these things and the entrepreneurs are the ones that uh, are prepared for that they're not always prepared financially but they're prepared attitudinally meaning that they know this stuff's going to happen and uh, there will always be an opportunity to be optimistic about tomorrow so let's keep our chins up the 100-year flood will happen to you and it's happened to all of us right now but let's keep our chins up and look for a better tomorrow because there's always something good coming You've been listening to the Ivy Entrepreneur Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player or visit ivy.ca forward slash entrepreneurship. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.